Welcome to the Islands Christian Church Podcast. We're so glad you're listening with us today. You can worship with us in person in Savannah, Georgia, or with our live stream every Sunday at 10 a.m. Take a minute to subscribe to this podcast to hear a new message every Monday. Thanks for listening. Let's just jump right in together today to Luke chapter 6, because we're going to move pretty quickly because of the prayer time I want to have at the end. Luke chapter 6. Remember as we're reading this passage today, because if you remember last week we were in Luke chapter 6 as well, and so we're in Luke chapter 6 again, and please remember that these verses in Luke chapter 6 are part of a a sermon or an address that Jesus is giving, uh, and uh, Luke tells us in verses 17 and 18 that a large crowd has gathered, and that the crowd is very diverse. In other words, some of the people who've gathered on the crowd that day are believers in Jesus, they're disciples of Jesus, they love him, they're for him. But some of the people in the crowd are not followers of Jesus. They're not believers in Jesus. Uh, they, they have come because they want to get uh, healed or they want to get their loved one healed. You could imagine if you had someone who needed healing and you heard Jesus was in town, you would go. You might not believe everything about him, but you had heard he could heal people. You would go. You would take your sick child or your sick family member. And so there's this massive crowd. And you got to understand they were from all over the region. So it wasn't just uh, just Jewish people from Jerusalem. It was people from all attire inside and all these areas around that area are gathered. So this is a, a diverse group of people who are there to hear Jesus. So get that picture. Jesus gets on this flat dirt. He stands over this crowd. And these words that I'm about to read to you from 27 to 31, these are part of the words he says to a huge crowd of people. Listen to this. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now listen, we're talking about radical obedience. This passage of Scripture, can we all just agree? This is up there, right? This is way up there when we're talking about radical obedience. But check this out. What Jesus is describing is possible. It has to be possible because he wouldn't tell us to do it, right? Like he wouldn't be asking us to do something if he knew, hey, there's no way you could do this. I'm just going to put this guilt and shame on you just because you can't do it. I thought I'd make you feel bad. That's not what Jesus is doing here. So it's possible now. It's not easy. It's not natural, but it's possible to anyone who has surrendered their life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, and Jesus is leading their life through the Holy Spirit inside of them. That's how it becomes possible. When Jesus is leading our lives, such things can happen. Do you know why? Because Jesus is God, and we actually believe in a God who does exactly what this passage of Scripture says. In other words, we believe in a God and are led by a God who lives inside of us who actually does what this passage of Scripture we just read that's so radical and so crazy and we think nobody could do that. We actually worship a God who is this way. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. You don't have to go there. It's not going to be on the screen. I just want to tell you very quickly what Romans chapter 5, verse 10 says. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 says that you and I were an enemy of God. an enemy of God, and that God reconciled us to Himself. In other words, He put us back in relationship. He made up with us, okay? He got us back together by, check this out, the death of His Son. So, what, so hear me, you and I were an enemy of God, 
And God said, I'm going to send my son to die for my enemy. I'm going to do good to those who persecute me. I'm going, to, I'm going to give to those who hurt me. I'm going to love my enemies. I'm going to love them so much that I'm going to send my son to die for them so that I can be reconciled back to my enemies. Now, I know that in our culture and our society right now, it feels weird to say that, that someone would be an enemy of God. But friend, everyone who's not a follower of Jesus, not a, a, a believer in Jesus Christ, is currently, right now, an enemy of God. That's hard to hear, I know. But it's the Scriptures. Because the only thing that removes me from being enemy of God is receiving righteousness through my faith in Jesus that puts me in reconciliation or right relationship with God. And you think, well, this sounds like a terrible thing. No, it sounds like a beautiful thing to me. That God would love every single person on the planet so much so because He knows every single person is broken and every single person is messed up and every single person is a sinner that He would love every single one of us so much that He would give His one and only Son to die for them. And so when Jesus calls us to radically obey Him, to love our enemies, it's something that our God does and teaches us how to do through our submission to Him and his leadership of us. Now, go back to the Luke passage, verse 27. I just want to start there. It's interesting that Jesus starts out uh, with these words. Um, verse 27 of chapter 6 says, But to you who are listening, I say. Now, what's the assumption uh, for this large crowd of people? To you who are listening. What's the assumption that Jesus is saying? That some people aren't what? Aren't listening. Listen, I've sat in church before and not listened to anybody else. One of the reasons I tell people I became a preacher is I didn't like listening to preaching, you know? I know that's a terrible admission, but it's true. So, th so there's a crowd of people that are there that day, and Jesus is acknowledging in his words that, hey, some of you are not listening. Uh, you're, you're here for a different reason. You, uh, you, you didn't come here because you follow me. You didn't come here because you believe in me. You didn't come here because you love me. You didn't come in here because you believe uh, I am who I say I am. You might be here to get your loved one healed. You yourself might be here to get healed. In other words, you have a different motive for being in this crowd. And he doesn't spend a lot of time trying to determine that. But I bet that's true here today as well. If it was true in that crowd where Jesus is standing there healing people, don't you think it's true in a crowd of people who are listening a little on me? That there are some people here who in this room... You're, you, if I were to ask you, are you a Christian? You would say, what? You'd say, absolutely. But if I were to say, well, do you have an intimate knowledge and awareness and walking relationship with Jesus Christ in your life? You would look at me like I was nuts. And you would say, listen, listen, man, who am I to say I have a relationship with Jesus? Like, I'm just, you know, like, that's not something I could have. I mean, I just, you know. When I ask if you're a Christian, what you basically mean is not that you have a relationship with Jesus. What you mean when I ask if you're a Christian is that you believe some stuff about Jesus. Uh, you believe in Jesus, if you remember that conversation. You believe in Jesus. You believe that He probably existed. You believe that He probably said some good things. You believe He probably died on the cross. And you believe that there's probably some truth to this. And you try to be a good person. Check this out. If you would say you're a Christian... 
and you don't really have a relationship with Jesus, you'd probably say this, I'm trying to be a good person, I'm trying to do the right thing, and I'm hoping that when, when I die one day, God's going to count it up as good enough. That's what you're hoping. That's not a Christian, by the way. And I know that's like, for, for some of you sitting here today, are like, no, no, what? I thought that was a Christian. I believe some stuff about Jesus, so I try to be a good person, and I go to heaven when I die. I, what, wait a minute, do you think there's more? What am I missing? Well, if you're not listening to Jesus, you are probably not a Christian. That's tough, right? But this, I'm just using this from, for some of you who are not listening. So I don't know where you are on the spectrum, but I'm confident that just like they're in that crowd that day, there are people in this crowd today or online right now who, if I asked you were a Christian, you would say yes, but you do not necessarily know Jesus. You do not have a relationship. If I said, do you have an intimate relationship with Jesus? You would say, a what? But for those of us who do know Jesus, and again, that sounds so arrogant, but that's only because you haven't experienced it. That's only because you don't believe it's real. That's only because you think that those of us who claim to have a personal relationship with Jesus are fanatical, but when actually, actually, we have just experienced something we can't deny, we can't forget, that's open to you, and an invitation is set for you as well. You can have this as well. Every single person is invited into this. And so for those of us who have a, a relationship with Jesus and we're engaged with Jesus, Jesus has these words to say to us. These radical words, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Now think about that. Jesus says, those of you who know me, those of you who have a relationship with me, the mark of your life that you know me is how you treat people who are not like you. Come on, man, that is like, that's intense. Uh, you, 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 see, here's the thing. How, uh, how we treat our enemies, how we treat people we don't get along with, how we do good to those that we don't see the world the same way they see the world, that we feel at odds with, that we're kind of like, oh, we just don't really understand them. How we treat them says more about what we believe about Jesus than how we treat people who are like us. So how you treat people who are like you, who see the world the way you do, says nothing about our loyalty to Jesus. It says nothing about our relationship with Jesus. Instead, how we treat people who are not like us, who do not see the world we do, the way we do, is the evidence of whether, check this out, you and I have a true, genuine, life-giving relationship with Jesus. Not believe some stuff about Jesus, but actually know Him and have Him leading us, have Him challenging us, have Him teaching us, because He's always going to lead us into relationships that are uncomfortable, that are going to cause us to die more to ourselves and love people who are not like us, because that's who Jesus is. I mean, check this out. Look, look, look at these verses. Verses 32 and verses 33. This is Jesus' words. He's in the sermon. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? And that's like saying, if you love those who love you, who cares? Even sinners. What's a sinner? Someone disconnected or not reconciled to God. Even sinners. Someone who's not in relationship with me can do that. That doesn't take a skill set. 
That doesn't take anything supernatural. That doesn't take the Holy Spirit. Verse 33, and if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? In other words, how does that reflect anything about you? Even sinners, again, even people who are not connected to me do that. Even people who are not in relationship with me do that. So what? So what? You get along with people who are like you. <laughs> oh, you're so amazing. This is, I mean, this is what Jesus is saying. I mean, this is a hard teaching. This is a hard teaching. And part of the reason that we struggle with obeying this teaching and living out this teaching is not that, that we don't understand it. It's not that we don't read it and see how hard it is. It's simply because we don't let Jesus lead our lives. We take over control of our lives. I want you to think about something for a second. Who do we primarily surround ourselves with? People who look like us. People who think like us. People who view the world the way we view the world. People, check this out, who have the same or very similar politics. Oh my goodness, he did it. We, we are friends with people who have the similar politics that we do. The, the race is like ours. Their socioeconomic class is like ours. I mean, you think about your friends. Do you have any friends who are just dirt poor, who have nothing to their name, who have a hard time paying their rent and buying their groceries? I'm not talking about do you know some poor people. I'm talking do you have, do you have friendship with them? Do, do you have a close, intimate relationship with someone maybe uh, who is a different race than you are, a different ethnicity than you are? Is this too hard? Should I stop? We are birds. And what do birds do? Birds of a feather flock together. But not Jesus' father. Not people who know Jesus. Look at, look at this crowd that day. If you go back and read what, 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 uh, what Luke tells us, there's, there's, this is a, people from all over the region. This is a diverse crowd. This is why Jesus includes this teaching in this moment because the, the, the room, well, it's not a room, the hillside is full of people who would normally not get along. Actually, Tyre and Sidon are there and Jews are there. Like they, We just mentioned a bunch of enemies. And Jesus is like, hey, love your enemies. And they're like, love. I'm not, you see those people over there? I'm not loving them. We, this, this text is about looking around our lives and saying, have I even positioned myself to love someone who's not like me? Who doesn't think the way I do? Years ago, I'm going to tell you a story I didn't plan to tell you. That means we might be here a little bit longer. Years ago, um, this is hard for me to tell, tell you. Like I did not plan to tell you this. Years ago, I looked around my life and I realized that I had a lot of good friendships. A lot of good people that I loved and they loved me. But not one single one of them was a black person. And I realized that um, in all the years I'd had dozens of people in my house for dinner, 
Not a single one of them was a black person. And my heart was broken. And I began to pray. I didn't go out and find a black person and say, listen, I got some white guilt. I'm feeling real bad about myself, and would you please help me comfort my white guilt by becoming my friend so I don't feel so bad about myself anymore? This is the Holy Spirit working on me. And I began to pray. And this is what I prayed now. I prayed a very specific prayer. This might be weird to you. I said, Lord, I want to have a friend who's a black man who is uh, smarter than me and who intimidates me. Now, why did I pray that specifically? Because I'm from the South. And what do white boys raised in the South typically think? That they're smarter than black boys. It's tough, right? But this is how I was raised. So I prayed this for like, I don't know, a year? Consistently. Had a journal, wrote it. I said, Lord, just lead this friend into my life, please. And I want to tell you that he did. This friend showed up, and now, like, we are close, and we talk on the phone consistently. And and here's the thing. It's not just our race that separates us. This joker grew up in Detroit. His father uh, was a member of the Nation of Islam. He used to sell the little papers in the Nation of Islam. So this guy, like, his background isn't nothing like this boy from South Georgia. He was hustling cars at 11 years old. I was like, what's hustle car mean? Like, I don't even know what that means. And we became close friends in his children. I became close friend with his children. I began to see the world through their uh, lens of their eyes. And all of a sudden, I realized that God gave me a gift and the opportunity to love someone who my heart has not been trained to love. And it took the work of the Spirit to become intimate with a man of color. Not because I was racist and hated black people, but because I just didn't know any. I mean, I'm not talking about no like at work. Like, hey, Jim, how you doing? I'm doing good, Steve. I'm talking no. Pray with, cry with, talk to, hang out with. Go to dinner with. Have, take this out, have in my home for dinner. Because that's happened. God did that work. And this is, this is, This is what Jesus is getting at in this text. It's not like you don't get along with somebody and Jesus is going, you should be just nice to them. No, Jesus is preaching to a huge, diverse group of people who who have all these differences and all these reasons to stay compartmentalized. And he's saying, hey, if you're going to be part of me, if you're going to be part of my body, if you're going to be a follower of me and you're going to listen to me, all those walls must and will come down. If you follow me, they will come down. If you don't follow me, that's why they're still up. Because you're not following me. You know some stuff about me, but you don't know me. And i got to tell you, the reason that we struggle to love people 
and uh, to, to serve people that are not like us or don't see the world the way we do is because I, I believe, this is what I think, I think that most of us judge our motives and our intentions as good, don't we? Anybody? Anybody want to say that you're just, just be honest, like I think my motives and I think my intentions are most of the time pretty good. But other people's motives, how do we judge them and their intentions? We tend to see them as what? Questionable. We tend to see their behavior and think, I wonder what they're really up to. I'll give you an example. I can prove this to you. Have you ever been in traffic and somebody cut you off or almost hit you and the first thing that comes out of you is, that's some idiot right there. What an idiot. Anybody? Come on. If you're like, bunch of y'all are liars. Changing my sermon right now to Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not bear false witness. So you have somebody cut you off, they pull in a parking place before you, whatever, and you go, man, that idiot, what an idiot, right? I've done that. And then later in the week, you cut somebody off, I almost hit them, right? What do you immediately feel about yourself? I, we typically go, oh man, I didn't, I didn't mean to do that, I'm sorry. Like, I, I, I literally like wave my hand at people, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know what they're saying in the car? You wave all you want, but you're an idiot. <laughs> in other words, when someone does something to me that, that could have been just an accident, could have been just an oversight, I've made a value judgment about them as a person. I've decided they're an idiot. But when I, when I have an oversight or I make an act, a mistake or I have an accident, uh, then, then you know what? I'm just, hey, I'm just human. I'm just like a man. I'm really sorry, my bad. In other words, I don't make a value judgment about me. That, that simple example is why it's so hard for us to love our enemies. Because what we're doing in that moment is we're dehumanizing a person. We're dehumanizing a person, and we're judging that person as inferior to us, which is why we're dehumanizing them. And sometimes, check this out, sometimes we not only dehumanize a person, but we, we demonize a person. Y'all remember the election cycles? Like that goes way past dehumanizing and it goes into demonizing. We demonize a person. We stop seeing a person that's not like us, that doesn't see the world the way we do. We, we stop seeing that person that we disagree with uh, as a person for whom Jesus died and for who and God loves. Uh, and, and, and we decide that they're just not a person anymore. Now, we would never say that out loud, but that's how we treat them. Not as somebody that God loves, not as somebody that Jesus died for, but rarely do any of us dehumanize ourselves or demonize, demonize ourselves. Rarely do any of us forget that we were someone that Jesus died for and that we are someone that God loves. So that's, that's one of the reasons that we fail to love people that are not like us, to do good to those who are not like us. It's one of the reasons because we dehumanize and we demonize. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, but they're an idiot. They're inferior. And we forget. So it's, it's hard to love someone that you've decided is not really human. At least not a human worth your love or your time. Now granted, they were worth the God's only son, but they're not worth your time. So it's hard to love a person that, that we're opposed to when uh, we dehumanize them or we demonize them. But there's another reason why it's difficult for us to love someone that, uh, that doesn't see the world the way we do, that 
that we're kind of at odds with. The other reason is we fail to realize there's more at play than just their worldview and our worldview. We fail to realize that there's something beyond the flesh and the blood. We fail to realize there's something more going on than just two people or two groups of people who can't get along. We forget that there's a spiritual element to our disgust for that person or these people. Can I say that again? We forget that there's a spiritual element to our disgust of that person or these people. We fail to understand that that spiritual element will probably lead you, most likely lead you and I, to believe lies about that person or those people and and not know everything about them or, check this out, or ourselves. This is why David says, search my heart, O God, because David knows and we should know that we we can't even know what's in our own heart. So there's a, there's a more going on in the spiritual side of things, right? There's more happening. We fail to remember that. That we might be believing lies about this other person. We might not believe, we might not know everything that's true about ourselves. Have you ever heard this saying, um, it's not what you don't know that gets you in trouble. It's what you know that just ain't so that gets you in trouble, right? It's what you believe to be true that just isn't true. So one of the reasons we have a hard time being in community or being in a relationship with people who are not like us is because we fail to realize there's more happening spiritually as a spiritual dimension. So Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 12, this is what Paul writes. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. If you write in your Bible, if you take notes, schemes, the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, the first thing Paul says uh, there, and so he says, be strong in the Lord, put on the full armor of God, so that you can, what? Stand against the devil's, everybody say, schemes. Schemes. Now, a scheme is a strategy. That's all it means. It's a, it's a scheme is a strategy. I'm raising kids. They, all got, they always got strategy going on for what they want, okay? So a scheme is simply a strategy for how you're going to accomplish a mission or a goal, okay? So you have a mission, you have a goal, and so you create a strategy to accomplish that mission or goal. Check this out. Paul says that the devil, the enemy uh, the, that hates us, has a strategy to destroy you. A scheme, a plan. Now, the other thing, do you remember what Jesus said about the devil in John chapter 8, verse 44? Jesus said that, that Satan, or the devil, was a liar, and that he was a liar what? From the beginning, he's the father of lies. In other words, I tell people all the time, don't lie, because when you lie, you speak Satan's native tongue. Any deception is Satan's native tongue. This is what he does naturally. He lies and counterlies. He deceives us at every turn. Check this, check this. It has an overall strategy, a scheme. In other words, he's not just lying at us to us randomly. He's lying at us with a strategy, with a scheme, with a plan. So what happens is we're called to love our enemies, to do good to those who persecute us, and we fail to remember 
that one of, the, one of the reasons we struggle with that is because there's an enemy who is strategically lying to us, lying to you for the purposes of destroying not only your life, but destroying humanity. And when you and I believe the lies of Satan, we participate in his destruction of people and humanity. We participate. So when we find ourselves dehumanizing people who do not see the world the way we do, we are, we are check this out, when we find ourselves dehumanizing people or demonizing people that do not see the world the way we do, we are believing the lies of Satan. We are being deceived in his strategy. And we're not listening to the truth of Jesus. Do you see how these two things have been juxtaposed? Jesus can, if we listen to Jesus, he can teach us and we can learn how to love those who are not like us and don't see the world the way we do. Or we can be a believer in Jesus, you know, think he's real, but not really have a relationship with him where we listen to him. And instead, the liar, Satan, lies to us and we begin to believe the lies and they're strategically done so our hearts buy into them. And then we start basing our decisions on lies that bring destruction. I want you to notice verse 12 of Ephesians says, Paul says it is a struggle, that we struggle. But, it's, but the struggle is not against flesh and blood, is what he says, right? He says that the struggle is against the, the powers of this dark world. Now, I heard Tim Keller say uh, that this, what Paul is trying to say here is that we do not struggle only against flesh and blood. Because it makes sense if you think about it. Have you ever had a bad boss that you struggle like to go to work for every day? Right? So you, you can't go to work and be like, you know what's wrong with you, boss man? You've got the devil. I've been trying to pray the devil out of you all week. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can't do that. It just doesn't work. You will lose your job. Okay? So, so part, I think Keller's right. So part of our struggle is against people, right? There's a, but what we fail to remember is that that struggle with this person is actually being used by the enemy as part of his scheme and his strategy. And that when we fall into his scheme and his strategy, we actually make the struggle between a person and me a lot worse. There's more going on than just you and I can't get along right now. And it's not always that person we can't get along uh, with has the devil. Like, don't believe that. Like, they might be perfectly in the right. They might be perfectly good. They might be in a great place. The problem might lie with, I know this is hard to believe. Me. You. It might be me that's causing the problem, which is why I have to pray. And what happens is, when we decide to ask God to show us uh, how the enemy's lying to us, when we realize that we could be being lied to, then we can start loving people who aren't like us. When we realize that there's more at play than just this person and I see the world differently, and I don't have to demonize them, I don't have to dehumanize them, that I'm... that. I might be believing some lies about them that's not true. They, might be believe, they may be believing some lies about reality that aren't true. I can stop believing those lies. I can listen to the voice of Jesus, and then I can love them. All right, so what can we do to love them? We could talk for days about ways we could practically love people that we don't get along with or that we don't see the world the way they do. 
But I want to give you one. Just one. The most loving thing you can do for a person, and Taylor kind of alluded to this in her hosting, the most loving thing you can do for a person is to pray for them by name consistently and regularly and specifically. Not like, dear God, I pray for Jim that he would just be, you know, he just realized he's wrong and uh, that um, he would start being nicer to me and, and that you would get the devil off of his back. And, um, you know, no, I mean like you would pray like, dear Father, I pray for Jim uh, that he would experience blessing from you, that if he doesn't know your son, he would come to salvation. I pray for Jim that he would be blessed financially, that his marriage would be full of joy. I pray for his children. And if you could know his children's name, pray for his children by name. I mean, pray for someone like they were your mama. When you start praying for someone like that, you are loving them. But check this out you're also breaking free from the prison of the devil and his lies and his schemes to keep us locked up. And oftentimes that prison looks like self-righteousness and indignation and believing that we know all and we've got all the answers. And that attitude poisons our relationship with others and, check this out, with Jesus Christ. And when we start praying for a person, I mean really praying for a person or a group of people, then what happens is, what happens is slowly we walk out of that prison of self-righteousness. And if you remember, bring this back to Jesus, if you remember when Jesus was getting ready to die on the cross, and you can read this in John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26, when Jesus was getting ready to die on the cross, when he was being prepared to be crucified for you and for me, what do we say in Romans chapter 5? For his what? His what? Oh, y'all can't remember because it's hard to believe it's true, right? Who did Jesus die for while we were still what? We were enemies. We were enemies. You were an enemy of God. I was an enemy of God. Jesus died for me. But listen to this. John 17, verses 23, 26 says that before he went to the cross to express this love and die for us, Jesus stopped and he prayed for us. He actually said, those who will believe their message, that's all of us, he prayed for us. He prayed for you. He prayed for you. He prayed prayed for you. Before he died, for his enemy, which is also was you and me. Now think about that. So when we decide, hey, you know what? I'm going to get serious about obeying this passage. What we do is we stop and we pray. Specifically for people that were struggling to, to stop dehumanizing and stop demonizing. And in that prayer breaks free breaks us free from the devil's lies and his schemes and sets us free to actually listen to Jesus and be led by him. Let's pray together. God, thank you for challenging us, pushing us, forming us through your Savior and your Son, Jesus. We're grateful to you. This is a hard passage of Scripture and This is not something we can white-knuckle or willpower ourselves into doing. This only happens as we listen to Jesus and uh, deny the the lies of Satan. And so, God, I, um, I pray that we're doing that. I pray that we're I pray that we are just listening to your son Jesus, every one of us. And I pray that that you'll help us, Jesus, to ignore and to tune out the lies of the enemy. 
And God, I pray for anybody in this room right now who needs to, um, needs to, to love someone they're having a hard time with. I pray that today they'll start a prayer journal with this person's name right on the first page. And they'll just start praying specifically for this person. And that through that prayer, they'll be loving this person so much. They'll be tuning their ear to hear the truth about themselves and about this person. Give us that gift, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, we're going to participate in communion. So if you got those supplies when you came in, if you go ahead and get those, if you didn't, um, there's a basket in the back. I think they're going to walk towards the front there and we can hand those out. We just want everyone to be able to grab those. All right, you ready? As preparing to take communion, this is what I want you to say in your head, in your heart. For while, I was a still, well, for while I was still an enemy of God the Father, He sent His Son Jesus to die for me so that I might be reunited forever with the Father. While I was still an enemy of God. Do that right now. Take of the elements.
So um, before we leave today, I want us to take just a few minutes to have some prayer time and quiet time for Ukraine, people of Russia, people of Ukraine, the soldiers of both armies and civilians of both nations, as well as Christians in the church there, Ukraine, and Christians in Russia. I'm going to read off some categories. I'll give you a few seconds after each category for you to have some quiet time to pray, just a few seconds, so that we as a community cannot ignore. We can choose to not ignore, and we can choose to let our hearts break for what breaks God's heart. That families have been separated, children have been killed. All in the name of something we don't even understand. And something that's temporary. So if you would like to kneel, you can kneel. If you would like to stand, you can stand. If you would like to turn around and kneel and put your head in the chair, you can do that. If you just want to sit in your chair, whatever it is you want to do. Let's start. Let's pray together. First of all, let's pray for the citizens of Ukraine, especially the capital and other major cities and the political leaders of those cities and of Ukraine. Specifically now, let's pray for the soldiers and the Ukrainian army and the citizen soldiers taken up arms to defend their nation. Next, 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Let's stop and let's pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine. As they suffer, we suffer with them. Let's lift them up for the peace of Christ to rule their heart now. Now let's pray for the Christian leaders, the pastors and elders in the church, both in the nation of Russia and in Ukraine, that these men and women would lead well during this time. pray for the Russian people, especially those who are being arrested in the streets by the hundreds and thousands for protesting. This next one is a, a miracle. We're going to ask for a miracle. 
So I just pray for a bold prayer for all of us in this room. I, I want to ask God to move in the hearts of Russian soldiers to literally throw their weapons down and put their hands in the air and surrender in Ukraine. To be arrested for the sake of peace. It's a miracle, but let's ask Jesus for it. For the Russian political leaders, especially that their relation of Jesus Himself to them and a call to peace in their lives. Lastly, that we would pray for ourselves, those of us in America, land and miles away from this conflict, that our heart would break, that we would stay fervent in prayer and seeking peace for the world and our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. Let's pray for ourselves right now. Father, um, parents have lost their children in the last three days. Children have lost their parents. They've been separated. There's a bit of a feeling for me that's overwhelming to know even how to pray and what to pray specifically. And so, Holy Spirit, I just ask that with, with utterances that, that are not understandable to us, that, that you, Holy Spirit, would just go before the Father with what needs to be asked for. There would be peace. And however you bring about that peace, we just want it. We pray for the church around the world. That we would be the example setters of how to respond to such a thing. We pray for the church that we would be bold in proclaiming the gospel. War has a way of causing people to face their mortality, the fact that they will not live forever, even in places like America. And so we pray that the gospel would just take hearts by storm and men and women would surrender to your son Jesus and come to be saved. Across Ukraine, Russia, Poland, the Baltic states, there would be a fresh wave, a revival, Lord. There would be a calling out to you and that, Lord, there would be this, this realization that if they're calling out to you, then surely you must, can be, you must be able to be known and that they would seek to know you. Your scripture tells us that you would reveal yourself to them. And so, God, we ask that people around the world would just seek to know you as they call out to you for peace and that you would then reveal your son Jesus to them. And there would be this awakening of the good news of the gospel that all men, though they die on this planet, all men and women will live forever in a new heaven and a new earth. And you've given us this gift. 
do that work, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen. Friends, thank you for being here today. May you leave here today and love those that are nothing like you. Go in peace.